Welcome, Pewter Report readers, listeners, and viewers to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. I'm John Ledyard from PewterReport.com, and this is a special edition episode of the Pewter Report podcast because I've got two of the best friends I have in the business with me here today, ladies and gentlemen. Paul Atwell of PewterReport.com is with us. You know him very well from the live game day shows that we do. But he's not alone today. We're going to talk scheme, of course, with Paul Under. So to do that, we had to bring in. It was a necessity that we bring in the one and only Mark Schofield of NFL Wire as well to break things down with us. Mark, obviously, good friend of the show, has been on with us many times. And we're going to talk about, gentlemen, how this Bucks offense adjusts for the playoffs without Chris Godwin and without Antonio Brown. What has to change in this Bruce Arian system? Mark, since you are truly the guest here and Paul is used to being on the show, how are you, my friend? And thank you for joining us. I'm excited to be here, guys. Um, this is going to be a fun show. Really excited about it. Um, huge fan of what you guys do over here. Huge fan of both of you guys. Excited to get into the weeds. I got my notes. I got my playbooks. I got stuff tabbed right here. I mean, we're ready to go, kids. Like, let's get into it. I'm excited. That's great stuff. And Paul, this is one that you've been itching to do this pod and to talk about this stuff because you've been passionate about kind of what some of the answers should look like for this Bucks offense as they kind of come out of this idea of having these three elite receivers. And now it's one and it just is. And Cyril Grayson's hurt. And so they're searching for answers. And you've been pretty passionate about the way that they should find those answers within the context of their offense. Yeah, and I've gone back and forth a lot, and I feel a little underprepared because all I have is a crappy Google Doc open. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have tabs, but uh, yeah, I, I wrote about it when uh, uh, when Godwin first went down and how they might adapt with ABs on the lineup, and now it's changed again since then. And I, yeah, I'm I'm excited to fully get into it. Absolutely. It's going to be good stuff. We're very excited about it. Before we dive into the weeds, though, we got to let the people know about our friends over at Celsius. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy, and they are the title sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast, the proud title sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast, I might add. And uh, I'm rocking the peach vibe today, but really any of these flavors, folks, they're awesome. They taste great. There's no sugar. It accelerates your metabolism and burns your body fat. It's a great energy drink that gives you the boost without the letdown. Mark knows he drinks them. He's a fan. We all, a bunch of us in the group chat that I'm in, we're all Celsius drinkers. And we've all talked about how great the different variety of flavors have been. And you can see them some on the screen there. Sparkling Wildberry, Strawberry Guava, Fuji Apple Pear, Tropical Vibe. There's so many good flavors. Check them out today. You can actually go to pewterreport.com and click on the banner ads there at pewterreport.com. Or you can check out uh, Amazon and do the subscribe and save option and get Celsius coming to you on the regular. The other great thing about Celsius is that uh, they've also got these fast protein bars that are, uh, I mean, I'm just going to be honest, they're the best protein bars that I've ever had. And they come in two different flavors. You can click the link below if you would like to place an order for these. Right now, they're 20% off on Amazon. You can use that promo code 20FASTSTART. That's it. 20FASTSTART is the promo code. White chocolate cookies and cream and the caramel peanut crunch, both outstanding. Get the variety pack, honestly. I think you can do that still, and you can get a, a couple of both of them. I personally probably go toward the salted caramel peanut crunch, but the white chocolate cookies and cream, I mean, I just had one yesterday, so they're outstanding as well. Both of them absolutely love them. So if you haven't checked them out, go ahead and check those out. 20% off right now on Amazon, and the link is down in the YouTube description uh, below for you guys to check out. Okay, let's start with this first. Uh, Mark, when you first saw Chris Godwin go down and then 
Antonio Brown, when the whole saga there ended and you knew he wasn't going to be a buck anymore, what were your first thoughts about this Bucks offense? You know Tom Brady, by the way. Just let me set the stage for people who haven't maybe seen Mark on the show before. The dire Patriots guy has covered the Patriots before, knows Tom Brady, has watched pretty much every snap of Tom Brady's career, was also a quarterback in his own right. So Mark has kind of a lot of insight as an author, his insight into all of these kind of stuff already as it is for quarterback play. So knows the X's and O's and what quarterback should be looking at extremely well and has studied pretty much every snap of Tom Brady's life um, in Bill Belichick and the Patriots offense. So he knows all of that stuff as well as knowing Bruce Arians offense. So that's how we come to the table for this conversation, Mark, when I say to you, and the knowledge of Bruce Arians offense that you have and the, and the fact that you know how important wide receivers are, when you see Godwin, A.B. go down and you know it's going to be on Mike Evans and whatever they have left shoulder at wide receiver. We'll talk about Gronk in a second. What were your first initial thoughts to kind of how they would face this? What's that Shannon Sharp meme? It's no problem. Ain't no problem. Ain't no problem. I mean, we're talking about a quarterback that got you an AFC championship game, throwing the football to Bethel Johnson. I mean, like he's going to be okay. There, there was a long time saying in the new England area, Tom Brady's favorite receiver is the open receiver. It doesn't matter who it is. doesn't matter what position they're playing. You know, it doesn't matter what the coverage is. Like, he's going to find the open receiver. And so, you know, just generally speaking, this isn't something to really be concerned about. Is it, you know, unfortunate to lose a guy like Godwin, his talent? Absolutely. I mean, you have a great receiver like that, a guy that can win one-on-ones, a guy that can give you yardage after the catch, a guy that can win at the line of scrimmage, can win off the break, can win deep over the top. Yeah, you lose that kind of player. It's tough. And Antonio Brown, say whatever you want about him from the off the field stuff, the character stuff, the way it ended in Tampa Bay. Him and Brady seem to have this relationship. I mean, yeah. when the Patriots signed him two years ago, got him on the field the first time, Brady was like, I am throwing to this dude as many times as I can. He had what? Touchdown, two touchdowns in that debut against Miami. And then it ended the way it did in New England. Yeah, you lost two good wide receivers. But Brady's. One of his superpowers is his ability to find your weakness and and coming at it from a different sort of perspective, you know, trying to think about how you defeat Tom Brady. Yes, the get pressure with the floor and the interior pressure and, and, and stuff like that. You have to do the unexpected against him. You have to do things that he's not expecting, like the Chauncey Gardner Johnson reception where he peels off. That's kind of not expected. Like mm-hmm. that's why you intercept Tom Brady. I remember a, a pick he threw in a dagger concept where you know, the underneath safety was carrying the vertical and at the last second peeled off and jumped the dig. That was like 10 years ago against the Dolphins. You're not expecting that. You have to do the unexpected to beat him. Brady's superpower is beating you with the open receiver, regardless of who it is. And so generally speaking, it's not cause for concern. Now, looking at this offense over the past couple of weeks, there's certainly things that they can do. There's things we can talk about schematically to get Evans into some good situations, to get Gronk really involved over the middle of the field, which is what I think they're going to lean on. But generally, look, as a man that, like you said, right there, that little helmet has a Tom Brady signature on it. Let me tell you guys, don't worry too much, okay? You're going to be okay with 12. That's right. That's good insight there. By the way, I think it's – a sign of the disease that you just like randomly pulled up a Dolphins game 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that John, that, that was, pick was seared into my brain. I, I literally remember the pick Mark. So but I'm it was just like, as sick as you. Yeah. But it was like, cause I remember seeing him like, there's no way you're expecting. Wasn't it that McCain? Yeah, it was McCain. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember this. Pick. It's That's up crazy. the left side. It's a dagger yep. concept. He's running the seam. You get the dig and he's, he sees his back. He sees his 23 and mm-hmm. he's like, there's no way he's going to peel off this and yep. jump the dig. And he did it. And 
that's what you have to do to get Brady. You have to do something that's comp- – and, John, you and I talked when they played Washington, right? Mm-hmm. And he had that seam route up the left side, and the safety just bailed on it, and Brady didn't expect him to bail on it. Right. It was wide open, but they did on the two. unexpected. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, like, that's what you have to do to beat Brady. When you have to do things like that to beat a quarterback – I, you, the guy you're talking about is pretty darn good. Right. Paul, were you a little more, a little more concerned when you saw Godwin AV out of the picture? I'm hyped to hear this uh, optimism because I need naturally lean on the pessimistic side anyway. And the, but specifically with Godwin, because he plays that marquee position in Arians' offense, right? That power slot, that FZ hybrid. They ask so much of him, right? Those strong side choice routes. That's kind of like a unique element to Arians' offense, all the blocking in the run game. And Specifically, the reason that I'm concerned with his loss is because I expected the Arians to use Tyler Johnson as like a pure plug and play. And that's kind of what's happened. And as opposed to trying to get a little more creative with their solution. And I think that drop off with Tyler Johnson specifically is so big that that kind of worries me a little bit. Whereas I think they could make up some ground if they were willing to change their offense a little bit and then get Perriman or guys like that on the inside who can who just have a little bit more athleticism. Whereas when you're just trying to say, hey, we're going to run the same offense we always have and we're just going to pretend Tyler Johnson is Chris Godwin, I think maybe you run into some issues there. Right, and it, it's a good point because I do think that Brashad Perriman's barely – like he's played like, uh, I don't know, like seven snaps maybe inside or something like that in the last couple of games so he's barely so he they're not using him in that role at all they don't see him in that role Daryl Grayson was the hope basically right Grayson was the hope and, and now he's down obviously injured Mark before we because I want to get to what Paul's saying for sure but I have to I want to touch on this because a lot of people are you know the common refrain is, is some of the things you're saying Brady is thrown to way worse and won Super Bowls and so it's gonna be fine I agree with that part of it like I don't think Brady needs elite talents but here's my question to you Within this scheme, is it a bigger deal to be down some key wide receivers than it would be within? I know the Patriots ran like a million different schemes, but like then in a lot of the schemes Brady played in in New England, where if you lost receiver, a little bit easier to plug in another guy into that scheme and still get people open. Where Bruce Arians' system has really has pretty heavily relied on wide receiver talent to be able to get open, not only just athletic and physical talent, but also mental because of all the option routes that there are and the ways that receivers have to adjust routes to read defenses. Now, all of a sudden, the experience level drops out of wide, wide receivers. So some of those elements become a concern in Bruce Arians' offense too, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the concern, John. It's an overlapping concern between these two systems because both New England's offense and the Arians' offense, like you've got some routes where it's like you've got four different things you could be doing, five different things you could be doing based on the coverage, whether it's middle field, open, close, Tampa two, rotations, things like that. And Brady's going to read that all right. Like, yeah. like, And that's the thing when, when you talk about how to confuse a def- how to confuse a quarterback, you know, spun safety looks and, you know, safety rotations at the snap. You're not going to confuse Tom Brady, chances are. I mean, you, he's done everything. I mean, yeah, you do the unexpected. You might bait him. But you might confuse a Tyler Johnson. Like, you right. might get Johnson and Brady on different pages, And that's where you get some sort of interceptions. That's where you get some sort of, you know, he's expecting him to run a post. He stays up the seam. You know, he throws the post route to the middle of the field and there's nobody there but a defender. And so that's sort of the concern with the, you know, lack of experience factor, you know, with guys playing with Brady and not playing as much with Brady. And I think that's why there's going to be a move to perhaps lean on Evans, lean on Gronkowski, guys that there's some level of experience with. And Paul's point about sort of the F 
is a very good one. I mean, you've got option routes. You've got routes to get adjusted. And if you're going to ask Johnson to do that, him and Brady to be on the same page, that's a little bit tougher. Would it surprise me to see Evans slide into not all the time, but some certain play concepts where the F maybe isn't, you know, in a win, but it's more of a slot, but it's still that F role. And he's got a route that could convert three different ways. Maybe they use Evans in those sort of certain circumstances because of the similarity between the two, because of Evans' experience reading that stuff out versus a guy that's a little bit younger. It, it does feel like uh, from the last couple of weeks, I don't, I can't say this with total confidence, but it feels like Tyler Johnson has had a few more locked routes than maybe Godwin would. Like the strong side choice stuff doesn't seem, it, yeah. you, it's, it's not always easy to tell if it's actually a choice route, but like it doesn't seem like they've been using those as much. And then with the Evans thing, I'm a little worried about that because think about when they have experimented him in the slot, right? He, especially on that option stuff, he just looks so uncomfortable, especially when he's the hot, you know, you think about last year, like all the the issues against KC. And then here's the other element to it. A big part of how they were able to get Evans in the slot when AB was healthy was putting AB at that X. And so when they go three by one, AB can be that isolated receiver that Evans usually is. And that frees Evans up to move around now they don't have another guy who's just like a mismatch one-on-one Evans is the only like actual isolated mismatch so I feel like that maybe even might lock him more to the outside if anything uh but I am curious how they tackle that yeah I mean you might see a scenario where you know you you either put somebody outside of them and you just hope that you can get the mismatch you want you might see some stack slots or even some condensed alignments when he's the single to try to at least give him the threat of that two-way go whereas you know, if he's just locked out to the bottom of the numbers or the top of the numbers, you know, th- the corner's got that boundary to play with a little bit. He's got a little bit uh, of help there from the sideline. If you've got him in a condensed alignment, if you've got him in sort of a stack slot, you've got that threat of the two-way go. I mean, I think, you know, that slot fade that they threw to him in the Jets game where he's basically at the two and he's got, I think it was Grayson who's outside of him. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter who's outside. It's just that alignment and that threat of the two-way go gives you the opportunity where he could stress the leverage, break away from it. If the the corner sort of plays it with outside leverage, he can sort of stay more vertical on it. If he's inside, he can wind it more to the outside. That's something that you might have to sort of do with him to give him some easier releases, some easier opportunities with that threat of the two-way go. That's such a good point because like, they, they do use that alignment already where like, so they'll come out and empty three by two. Evans is the number two technically on the right. backside. And then they'll motion the running back who's the number one. He'll motion back in the backfield. So now Evans is the number one, but he's in that number two alignment that you're talking about. So he has like a two-way go. I never really thought about that, but yeah, they could start using that more specifically for that reason. Because the other issue that they come into sometimes is like this happened against the Saints is when you don't have credible threats on the outside, especially say if they have a nub tight end, teams just condense the middle of the field, right? The robbers, the whole players, and they get into issues when they don't have like credible threats on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's going to be a problem because, you know, if, if you're, you know, Jonathan Gannon this week, you want to take away the middle of the field, right? Like, you know, I haven't watched Brady as much as we all have. Like Brady, yeah, he can throw the deep ball. The arm is fine. You're not worried about that. But he'd love to get by throwing six-yard crossers and shallows like any quarterback would. So if you're Gannon, you're going to want to run, you know, lurk, cross, whatever terminology they'll have for it. Bring robbers down. Take that stuff away. Take stuff away like that from Gronkowski. So, yeah, you're going to need some ability to sort of get some stuff out to the outside. You know, and a, a lot of the stuff that I'm looking at, you know, from what they've run in the past couple of weeks, getting, you know, whether it's Perryman or somebody else on one side, Evans on the other, running them vertical, 
and then giving Gronk that sort of middle read where if you get that too high look, if you can catch them in, you know, quarters or, you know, full, you know, straight cover two or whatever, you've got that opportunity to hit that. But if you get single high, they're trying to take that crosser away. You've got perhaps a one-on-one on the boundary that you might like. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, too, because of the way that the Eagles play defense, like probably as obsessed with any team in the league as just preventing big plays and giving yeah. up a I mean, lot of passes underneath. And Brady checked down all game in week six, and they've changed a little bit, and they'll blitz a little bit more, and they'll play a little bit more man coverage. But generally, this is still a pretty zone-heavy defense and a defense that wants to keep the ball in front of them at all times and rally and tackle the catch. And, and against Brady – Against some quarterbacks that can work, but against Brady, I just don't know. I think they're. Gonna I mean, John, you and I have seen that for years, right? I mean, yeah. you remember some Steelers. The Steelers. Players, <laughs> you know, like, Come on, this show. Just Everybody knew where he was going with that one. As soon as we talked about zone defense versus Brady, you knew he was going to bring up the Steelers. Spot yeah, drop I mean, and Steelers. Spot drop, cover three, to get Haas Juke all the time. He's just he's hitting Gronk up the seam like left and right. You don't want to spot drop against Tom Brady. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to spot drop against him, but the problem is that's a lot of what Gannon's done this year. And you're right, guys. Like, he's going to want to keep stuff in front of him. You know, the the problem with, you know, in rewatching that game uh, from, you know, October, even when they got pressure with four and there was a play where they had one cross, one work, they brought the safety down to take away the crosser from AB. They got pressure with four, moved Brady off the spot. He still hit the crosser. Like, like he bought a little bit of time and that was, that was late. It was a third down play near midfield. Yeah. That one to AB Paul. And it's like, again, it got everything he wanted. Like he got the pressure with four, get the robber coming down to take away the route. He wanted to throw Brady still beat him. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's how ridiculously good this guy is. Like you can get what you want against him. He'll still hit it. Now, he, my concern is this, though, and I, this isn't really a concern against the Eagles because they are so zone heavy. But when they come across a team who has a corner that's good enough to single up Evans or maybe even double him and then man across the board and one on one everyone else. Right. If you come across a team that's willing to play man, that's where I think they might come into trouble. Because, again, against the Eagles, where it's going to be a ton of zone, realistically, you're kind of the, the defense is kind of challenging Brady to find the soft spots and which he can do. Whereas if you're manning right. across the board, you're, you're putting the onus on the receivers to win, which that's where maybe they run into issues. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be a concern. I mean, obviously, you know, thinking about who they might play in the next round, like if you get sort of a, a Dallas situation, right. Where, you know, Dallas has played a lot of man coverage this year. Obviously Trayvon Diggs has had a very good year, but at the same time, he's a corner that can give up some big plays. You can mm-hmm. bait him on stuff. Deontay Lee wrote a great piece about, you know, why the hype over Trayvon Diggs maybe is a little bit too much because he's given up some big plays. He's given up some huge first downs. He's very susceptible to double moves. And so, yeah, you know, there might be some plays where Brady throws a mistake, maybe throws a pass that could be intercepted, but you could also get some big plays against a defense like that. But you're generally right. Like, man coverage, it's going to be a bit tougher uh, against a team like this, the Eagles, that have played so much zone coverage. They should be in pretty good shape even – down the two receivers that we've been talking about. Does Gannon really adjust? Do they come out and play a ton of man coverage and just really sort of do the unexpected? Maybe, but that's a tough ask. I mean, to try to get ready to shift from such a zone heavy system this year to plant a ton of man on a, you know, on a one week to go kind of situation. That's a tough ask for a defense. Right. It is going to be a, definitely a big change if they go that way. They have, Started to lean into it a little more. I was talking to Fran Duffy. I know you, you all know him. And yeah. I was talking to him this week. And he was like, yeah, it's definitely been an increase in that a little bit. And I think I mentioned yesterday on the show, Eagles are 31st in blitz rate this season and sending more than four rushers. They just 
don't do it like at all basically this season which normally that's like actually a good like you kind of like philosophically are in a better place against brady if you don't rely on the blitz and have to look like the dolphins did in week five or whatever you know i think that's might be a positive for the eagles but if they can't get pressure with four it won't matter and by the way just to mention josh sweat didn't practice again this week so we'll see what or today so we'll see what his status looks like on friday one of the eagles top edge rushers uh, top sack guys there want to get to the super chat uh the loot group says uh really enjoyed your show haven't missed a show for two seasons thank you shout out to aiden my son a new bucks fan go bucks that's awesome Congrats. It sounds like new, new. I think we're starting new here. So like, I'm guessing like newborn here. So a uh, new Bucks fan is indeed welcome uh, for sure on the Pew Report podcast. And we appreciate the $7 super chat as well here. Uh, I know people probably do have some questions at times. Um, so let me know if you do, if you want to drop a super chat and ask a question, I will uh, tee it up for Mark and Paul uh, to be on the show, but this is great thoughts about Evans. I'll throw this out there. 70 wide snaps for Evans over the last two games. Uh, where he's been out wide, and then uh, 29 snaps in the slot. But as you guys mentioned, there are other wrinkles to this, right? There are reduced splits and ways to get him two-way goes and to get him in more ideal matchups and situations, even without just, oh, am I going to play him in the slot or am I going to play him out wide every rep? It's a lot more complex than that. There are definitely other ways to do this, and Arians is is a stack release king you know, for a long time. He's figured out how to use that part of the offense to, to their advantage at other times. So there are more answers that they can find here. It isn't quite as simple as just, oh, Evans is going to be out there hanging out by himself and they're going to be able to, you know, every time he goes deep, there's safety sitting there. And, you know, there's going to be other ways that they can, the Bucks can do this too if they lean into it. Evans, by the way, offered this up. Normally players don't, but he offered up this week uh, when he during his media availability. He said, yeah, I love the game plan this week. I'm moving around a lot. And so he already said that he is moving around a lot. So I don't know if that it means a ton of slot snaps like the Bills game I made, but I mean, he had 33 slot snaps or something like that. I don't know if it means that, but I think you're some of the things you guys suggested maybe are going to come to fruition in this game. So that's exciting. Let's move to Gronkowski here because in my mind, although Evans is an important piece, I see Evans more as still a receiver that when you talk about what he does best, uh, there's a, there's obvious strengths there. And then when you talk about like get to the other, some of the other traits and things that Godwin and AB do well, like run after catch and um, you know, some of the quick separation stuff and that kind that kind of aspects of playing receiver, those really aren't as much of Evan's strengths. Although he looked pretty good after the catch the other day, made a couple of nice plays. So maybe I'm going to end up eating my words and that'll be a really cool revelation for Evans. But that those elements might not be there with Evan. So like, how do you get some of those elements? How do you get some more of the middle of the field presence that you had with the Chris Godwin? One of the keys could be into or Rob Gronkowski in this game, right? Like he, he's a guy marked that you watched obviously his whole career in new England. You saw the Patriots use him tons. They flexed him out a ton. They put him out wide. They put him in the slot move them all around the formation. The Bucs last year didn't do that like at all. He played in line almost all the time. I think he had like 80 total snaps in the slot playing you know, basically every game all year long. This year, even though he's played way less games and way less snaps overall as a result because of the injuries, he's actually got like, I think, 60, 70 more snaps in the slot and then a big increase out wide than he had all of last year. So it's not as much as his New England days, but for a Bruce Arians offense to take a tight end and move him around like this and not play him in line all the time, and Gronk has also barely been in pass protection this season, that's just a totally different thing. So first, Mark, if you could just talk about like what you've seen in terms of the evolution of the way that they've used Gronkowski this season and, and maybe drawing from the Patriots some of that way. And then like, what do you see being, is he an answer to some of the problems presented by not having Godwin and AB moving forward? 
I mean, I think he certainly is. I, I think part of the evolution of his usage over the past couple of years is one, a reflection that you don't need him to help as much in pass protection as you might have thought you needed last year when you've got a rookie right tackle. And Gronk is an extremely good blocker. Like, mm-hmm. when he goes into the Hall of Fame, will be for the touchdowns and what he did as a receiver. But people should also appreciate what he does as a blocker, both in pass protection and in the ground game. Like, it, it's an incredible part of what he offers. But last year, you've got a rookie right tackle. You were yeah, we're gonna you know he's gonna stand up in protection. We gotta protect Tom Brady, like that's job one. So yeah, you'll leave him in, you'll have him really chip and release and really focus on the chip so much. And then you know, if he can get into the pattern late, like fine, but you want to make sure you've got that edge short up. Now, as we've gone along and we've seen, look, he can handle it. That right tackle can handle things just fine. You don't have to worry about him. You can leave him one-on-one with some of the best pass rushers in the league, and he's gonna be okay. You yeah. can move him around a bit more. And so I think that's been part of the evolution. It's we don't need to keep him in protection. We've got protection showed up. We can go five man protection schemes if we have to. We're going to be okay unless they go, you know, engage eight to use a Madden term. We're going to be all right. So now you can move Gronkowski a little bit more. And then I think, look, attacking the middle of the field, he's a very good option to do that. Like there are maybe some linebackers that can run with him, but he's probably got size on them. Maybe there's some guys that can match him up from a size standpoint, but he's still good enough at this stage in his career where he can run past most of those guys. It's, he's a very tough, he's that mismatch kind of nightmare still to this point in his career that he was back in New England. And you see, you know, against Carolina, against New York, like they move him around a little bit, got him in the slot, some Wayne alignments and things like that. They're letting him run middle read stuff. They're letting him attack the middle of the field. They're daring teams. Like, can you find somebody that can run with him? If you can, Good. That's a heck of a player. You better re-sign him in free agency. But it's hard to find that type of player. And so if you've got him stressed in the middle of the field, then it sort of opens him some, some stuff to the outside. And I always come to, you know, games like this, questions like this, like if I'm Gannon, what are you worried about? You're worried about Evans on the outside or wherever they put him. Now you're worried about Gronk in the middle of the field. Are you going to stay two deep safeties to give you some help over both of those guys find a linebacker that can, they don't have a linebacker that can run with Gronkowski. I mean, no, I do some Eagles stuff, guys, like second level of their defense, not great. And so, yeah, I I think Gronk is going to be a huge part of this passing game. And I I think the reasons from a pass protection standpoint, why he's now freed up to be a huge part of the passing game. I I think that's become, you know, because of worse and what he's shown over the past two years. I kind of started laughing when you mentioned blocking because John and I were just talking about that before this. Uh, but you make a great I, – I never even thought about the right tackle part of it. To me, I thought that they are moving Gronk around more because they feel more confident in their running back pass protection this year. Oh, that too, I, yeah. Last year, Fournette and Ronald Jones were horrible in pass protection. And Fournette has – he's taken a huge step forward to mm-hmm. now just being like at least serviceable, right? And yeah. Bell and Keyshawn Vaughn and their limited snaps have done well in that role. And that also lets them open it up a bit more. Um, but, yeah, like Mark mentioned, the middle read routes or Aryan system delta routes. Yeah. I wonder if they start using them more on like 989 as that number three where it was always Godwin before running that delta route. But one thing that I've really liked – with Gronk uh, against these teams that play a lot of soft too high is when the, uh, and John, you've heard me talk about this a bunch, is when the Bucks go play action and Gronk chip releases, he's like got no one in front of him for seven yards. So it's like a zero air yard pass and just all this yak opportunity because teams are just so afraid of the big play. They just sag way off by the time Brady finishes the fake and Gronk releases off his block. It's a ton of space. And I, and I think that's another way they could open him, open it up a little bit more for him. 
Yeah, I mean, against the Eagles, that was like bread and butter for the Bucs last time they played. And obviously there will be wrinkles and changes from both these teams. So take all that with a grain of salt. But, you know, part of our job is just looking at the last matchup and seeing how to analyze that. And you can see, I mean, O.J. Howard, who hasn't been a factor like all season, was just a factor. Obviously, Rob Gronkowski didn't play when they played the Eagles last time. And O.J. Howard got seven targets. I mean, he was second most targets on the team in the last game. Six catches, just 49 yards. And I think you give Gronkowski six opportunities like that, and you're probably going to get more than 49 yards. And Bray, you know, four targets as well. And he had three catches for 26 yards. So, I mean, you had 11 targets to your tight ends without Gronkowski in the game a significant number for sure, you know, in a game that this honestly wasn't a big Chris Godwin game in a lot of ways, like they, those guys were who they relied on. And so I think you're right about Gronkowski. Like he's, he's got to be, he's got to be playing, he's playing his best football. And it really looks like he is coming out of the regular season. He's been unbelievable. I think part of it too, is all the reasons you guys mentioned, I think straight up part of it is just like, they realized this year, like this guy's still a boss. Like, I don't know if they realized that, Last year, I mean, even if you listen to Arians, Arians talk at the beginning of the year, he was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's still getting his legs underneath him. Like, I don't know what he can run anymore. And then I think even by the end of the year, they were like, all right, this guy can still like play. But then this year, getting used to the Florida heat they've talked about, his body, like you could see in camp, like he didn't actually even do that much in camp whenever they'd play, like in scrimmage and do all that kind of stuff in, in camp. He'd never, he hardly made big play, big impacts, but he just looked amazing in terms of how he moved, his, his weight, his body, like everything just looked great. And so it really hasn't been that surprising to me to see him light it up. But I think that's a big part of it, them realizing we can lean into this dude. And you can see it with how he's playing. Like he's confident and I think he's fresh at the end of the year. Maybe some of it's the time he missed and, and wasn't out there getting hit. But he seems like really fresh right now and, and really confident uh, right now, which is a big help for them as well. Can, can, let's discuss the running back situation here for the Bucks because Leonard Fournette coming back, perhaps Giovanni Bernard coming back as well. Um, and the way the Eagles play, last time Fournette, six targets, six catches, 46 yards. Ronald Jones had a, a, a target and a catch. Bernard, two targets, two catches. So Brady went nine for nine targeting running backs last time in this game. That's kind of been a theme with the Eagles, right, Mark? Like they leave those spaces open. They want you to go to those spaces. That's They, they want them to die by a 1,000 cuts if they're going to die. And I, Brady's more than content to put the ball in these guys' hands and, and let them make plays, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's the risk that comes with playing that kind of defensive style is that, you know, the idea, the philosophy is, well, we're going to force them to make, you know, 10 play drives, 14 play drives. We'll keep everything in front of us. Maybe the quarterback will get impatient, get risky, make a mistake, force something into coverage and we get a turnover. Tom Brady loves doing that. Like Tom Brady loves nothing more than like a 14 play drive where he connects on 13 of 13 and checks it down every single time. Like he's more than happy to do that again. His favorite receiver is the open one. And again, going up against this Eagles defense where they do have some questions at the second level of their defense. Like there are people that think myself included, they got to draft a linebacker with one of their three first round picks linebacker has been a problem for them. Yeah, we've been saying for that for a years. long time <laughs> for a long time. I mean, yeah. our good friend, Michael Kist has some deleted tweets. Um, <laughs> But they're, uh, they've been worried about linebacker for a while. So, yeah, if you're going to get situations where, you know, they stay too deep, they stay three deep, they're trying to keep everything in front of them, and they're giving you, you know, Fournette in the flat, Jones in the flat, he'll take it. He's fine doing that, you know, because he believes that, look, you know, you'll get first and 10 becomes second and four. And the playbook is wide open to you. You can do whatever you want. Second and four becomes first and 10 again, and you've only thrown the ball a combined three air yards, but you've gotten yourself a fresh set of downs. And so – if the Eagles want to do that, Tom Brady is more than happy to play along. 
Yeah, I in the passing game in this matchup, for all those reasons, I actually feel pretty good, even with the uh, receivers that are out. But my concern is in these type of games, when when teams do like to play light boxes, lots of too high, the Bucks tend to fall in love with first down runs. They right. ran the ball really well in, in the Eagles game the first time around, but we know that running success is a lot less sustainable than passing success. And the Bucks against any type of coverage, they're at their best when they're throwing it around, even on early downs. And as and especially when you're trying to put together those methodical drives, it becomes even more important that you don't have any negative plays, no zero yard or fewer zero yard plays, one yard plays that you often get with runs. So I, I think as long as they can stay away from not falling in love with the run on first down, they're going to be pretty good on offense, honestly. Yeah, I think that you're right that there's a lot more in this matchup, unless the Eagles change something up and the Bucks aren't ready for it for whatever reason, and the Eagles can pull it off too, you know, without having a super a lot of talented players in their defense, you know, especially in the back seven, you know, if they could pull it off, okay, then then more power to them. But yeah, I mean, the Eagles really rely on that front four to be able to win. And last time the Bucks pretty pretty much neutralized. I mean, there were a couple reps here and there, but it was it was pretty dominant by the Bucks offensive line, especially Ali Marpet handling Hargrave and those guys uh, double teaming Cox as much as they did. And I think they were able to get away with some things. So like, yeah, that that's a huge part of it, obviously schematically in this one, but as you look forward, even like past this game, that's where I'm like, okay, all right. Like I, you know, you guys even mentioned some of the man coverage stuff. I'm like, okay, what, what's out there for them? You know, saints aren't out there in this playoff field. Like, you know, we'll see who moves up forward and who doesn't uh, green Bay's getting Jair Alexander back. You know, they've been uh, a team that, you know, is Jair going to match up with like, okay, is there a challenge there? You know, Dallas, Trevon Diggs to match up with Evans last time. But I mean, obviously they got one in an AB and those guys went off last time against the Cowboys. So maybe that is a tough matchup this time around without those guys. If the Cowboys want to play more man coverage uh, and they've been playing more man coverage this season than Dan Quinn's maybe played in the past. And so, yeah, there could be other potential hurdles down the road for sure um, for these two teams uh, or for the Bucks, especially if they win this round and Cowboys win and they're facing off there in the next round of the playoffs, you know, that it gets a little bit interesting um, in that matchup potentially. But for this Eagles one, yeah, unless the Eagles change things up a lot, I agree, and we'll see if Slay falls Evans around. That could be part of this whole analysis as well if that ends up happening. But even if that is the case, I still like Evans. I still think that's a matchup he can win as good as, good as Slay is. I think that's a matchup that Evans can win um, regardless in this one. I do want to mention that there is an opportunity out there for people. If they're listening to this show and they're getting excited, oh, Evans that stat line i'm definitely i'm buying on that stat line you could do it over at underdog fantasy right now with the promo code pewter p-e-w-t-e-r you can double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars right now what's great about underdog fantasy is that you can do a bunch of different stuff on their site and their website super easy to use their app super easy to use it's great stuff you can go in you put your first deposit in use that promo code pewter and then it's all like right there for you, you can do tournament play you can do best ball leagues you can bet over under on uh, player stat lines, prop bets on player stat lines. That's my favorite thing to do. You can do up to a pick five, pick five player stat lines over or under. You can mix and match NBA. You can get an all kind. You can you know, whatever you want to do. NFL games coming up this weekend for the playoffs. And if you hit five of those, for example, you can win 20 times the amount of money that you put down on the bet. So it's a really good deal with underdog fantasy. Plus, this is a big deal for me. The interface so easy to use for underdog fantasy. I love it. It's clean. It's just it's a great aesthetic. It really is. And so uh, make sure you check out Underdog Fantasy. Download that, uh, that their app as well and use that promo code Pewter, P-E-W-T-E-R, uh, to sign up and, and take advantage of that offer there. All right, let's look at things a little bit uh, from the other wide receivers on this offense. Like this, the reality is that as much as we talk about Evans and Gronk, it, it, when you come down to it, whether it's in the Eagles game or in another game this year, 
other people are going to have to step up and make plays. And it might not have to be 10 catches in a game, but they're going to have to step up and make plays. Right now, it seems like with Cyril Grayson out of the lineup, so let's let's forego Cyril at this point in time, you know, RIP uh, for now at least with Cyril. But if he's out and leaves literally Brashad Perryman, who did, who was cast off by multiple teams before he landed in, back in Tampa Bay, and actually has stepped up. He's made a couple of big catches. You know, the last three games he's played in Bill's game, caught the overtime winner, caught a big 30-yarder while A.B. was throwing a tantrum, and then uh, this past week caught the amazing back shoulder one on the sideline. So he has stepped up, to be honest, and he's probably going to have to be the number two guy right now and Tyler Johnson, the number three guy, and they'll probably play pretty similar amount of snaps, snaps you guess, moving forward. I Let's start with you, Paul, because I know you've watched a lot more of these guys, maybe even than Mark has, unless Mark's really been putting himself through it. And I wouldn't underestimate him. I was going to say, maybe he has been. But what have you been your impressions so far, uh, Paul? Are you encouraged by anything you see from Tyler Johnson or from Rashad Perryman? And uh, Scotty Miller, obviously, is kind of in the mix there still as the wide receiver for last year's playoff hero. Is there any magic left there for him, potentially? Yeah, Oh, so we haven't seen a ton of – Perriman and Miller, like uh, even with the, yeah. the big highlight moments for Perriman. So it's kind of hard to get a great feel on it. Uh, I haven't seen the tape from his first stint with the Bucks, So maybe there's some something to be gleaned from there. Uh, I mean, he I, really did go off in his last four games or five yeah. games of Bucks. Got himself to contract if, as a result. That's right. right. If you went and watched the games, Paul, you would not have, you would be like, how is this dude just like available? Yeah. If you just watch those games, right. you would be stunned. I mean, I'll actually, I'm going to send you, I'll send you some of the catches. Sure. Like, yeah, he was unbelievable. But I mean, everything was a highlight reel, but that hasn't been his career, obviously. But. I, but I am worried about Tyler Johnson because, like, you know, the ideal situation in those 11 personnel kind of plays where you have Tyler Johnson at the number three spot is let's get zone coverage. Let's get a linebacker against our number three receiver. Or, like, by number three, I mean that number three spot. Like, against yeah. our slot receiver, let's run juke, whatever. And Tyler Johnson's had a couple of those opportunities against the Jets. Uh, a couple come to mind. And he – I mean, honestly, he's not really getting by the linebackers. Like, he's not creating nearly as much separation as you, as a Godwin would in that situation. Or, like, you know, back in New England, Edelman, like Amendola, those guys torched those guys anytime they had juke routes against linebackers in zone. And, yeah, just for an offense that relies on it so much, that does kind of worry me, uh, worry me a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, so I think, I think they're going to kind of play the same offense and, Perriman's going to have to step up big on the outside because I don't see him taking over in the middle. Yeah, that's going to be the key. Like, where is he going to make his impact and, and how often? You know, is it going to be one, two plays a game or is it going to be able to be at any type of higher volume? Mark, what have you seen from those guys? You've watched them before in their career, I know. And so you have a good idea with their skill sets. You've watched Tyler Johnson coming out, I know, the yeah. draft. And uh, yeah, what have you seen from those guys? Anything? Yeah, anything I mean. There? Yeah, I think there's a way to get sort of Perriman involved. I mean, you know, on the boundaries, even some stuff just working. Like he had, you know, the one of his catches were on the the what do they call it? I forget the name of the verse, but it's the diagonal and the end. He's running the diagonal across the field, and and right. you know, if he's got like he's got still straight line speed, and, and so there are opportunities to work him sort of on the vertical tree. You know, the back shoulder play was fantastic. But what's interesting to Paul's point on the back shoulder play. You've got Johnson on the backside running a, a, an in on the double in concept against zone coverage. He can't get really on top and over the linebacker. And it's not like it was Shaq Thompson. It was another, it was Carter, one of their other linebackers. And Johnson's sort of struggling to get open against that. And, you know, with zone coverage, that's kind of a look that you like. Brady ends up going to the back shoulder and Perryman makes a great play. And so 
there's where Perryman can offer you some of the stuff on the vertical route tree, diagonals, verts, things like that, the back shoulder ball. But then it also brings up the sort of complementary concern to Paul's point from earlier, which is can Johnson really give you that wide, re three, wide receiver three stuff or that three alignment where you know, you're trying to get him matched up on a linebacker, you just need to get on top of him, and he sort of struggles to do it. Makes mm -hmm. me wonder, do we see more 12 personnel? Do they just say, look, you know, we're going to get O.J. Howard involved a little bit more. We're going to go with Evans and Perryman and try to get Gronk and Howard with some favorable matchups, maybe try to get them into some more base defensive looks so we can get those guys matched up against linebackers because uh, the concerns about Johnson are real, and Paul's exactly right. Well, yeah, here, here's the interesting thing. When in that first Carolina game, it was no Evans, no Godwin, just A.B. They played a ton of multiple tight end sets. They played less 11 personnel than they ever did under Arians, going back to 2019 even. And the way they did it, from at least the way I saw it, was A.B. A moved into that X position, kind of took over the Mike yeah. Evans role. Yep. And then I kind of thought two weeks later that – the Bucks would look very similar, right? Because there's the same opponent, same situation. Now Mike Evans is back into his spot. AB's gone, but it was actually totally different. It was way back, nor like more of a normal Bucks offense. A ton of eleven personnel or three wide receiver sets, and you know, kind of just moving, keeping things going. And that's kind of why I think they're going to try to keep it the same. Here's the one case that I can make for trying someone other than Tyler Johnson at the number three spot. The big reason they do it is because he's. I'll call him a neutral blocker. He's not a plus blocker the way Godwin is. He's a neutral blocker. Right. But the way they've been running their offense this year, it's been a lot of shotgun, right? A lot of more, more spread out looks, and they've actually asked less of that number three receiver blocking-wise. They've just not called those plays nearly as often because they've been trying to spread to run more as opposed yep. to really condense. So now that now you don't need as good of a blocker, right? So maybe you can experiment more with someone else. And you saw it a little bit with Cyril Grayson before he went down. We've even seen Scotty Miller a couple of times get reps in the slot. As they're becoming that spread-to-run team, maybe you don't need that big body in the slot as badly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think that might be where they're kind of going with this. I'm hoping, again, I don't know how much the Carolina game, we don't, we have such small sample sizes because Perryman was out and this time now Sir Grayson's been out, you know, so we, and Tyler Johnson's all snaps diminished for a while there and then came back and he was more snaps than Perryman. And so we have had just a ton of moving pieces. There hasn't been much consistent in terms of the way, like you said, like game to game, it kind of has looked a good bit different. And so there is some uncertainty going into this as to what they'll look like and even who will play the most. Although at this point they're down so many receivers, they really probably only go into this game with four guys that actually trust you. We'll see somebody jokingly said Jalen Darden's going to go off for two catches for 14 yards. <laughs> It'll be two fantastic plays though. Yeah. I mean, two fantastic plays. Right. They're, they're set up like, a second and seven, you know, it'll be great. Yeah. yeah. Like that. I mean, they're they're at that point where he like legitimately like one injury and he has to get in the rotation because they're going to play four guys. And so um, it's it's a tough spot for them in terms of the wide shoe room because there isn't a lot of depth there. But yeah, this matchup, I have a little more hope down the road. I could see it being a struggle. But you guys talking about 12 personnel and maybe getting some tight ends um, to fit into this mix. So let's discuss that next, maybe if we can. But first, I want to make sure I mentioned Spotify Green Room. It's the, it's the place to go to talk about music, sports, and culture live. You can download Spotify Green Room on the App Store or get it on Google Play. You can jump in watch parties for sports. You can jump in to talk about music or culture, sports other than football. You can grab the mic. You can verse your opinions on these platforms. So download Spotify Green Room in the App Store. Get it on Google Play. You won't regret it. It's a great platform to be able to voice some of your opinions and hear the thoughts and opinions of others engage in some good discourse as well. So the tight end groups, uh, this has been 
probably, I don't know, it's been up there at least for me in terms of the most disappointing things in the Bucs season. Now, I just really don't feel like the tight ends have played that well other than Gronkowski. I don't think, you know, Cam Brates had a moment here or there, but he just really has not been himself. He's dropped a lot of passes. He struggled to get open. Um, you know, I don't know if it's diminished athleticism. He's never been the most athletic guy, but he's usually had reliable hands and good routes. And this year just hasn't been that guy. And they really – last year in the playoffs, he stepped up. He was huge. He was one of the leading receivers last year in the playoffs. People forget. Um, played really, really well for them. And O.J. Howard's been just – he hasn't even played. So I don't even – I mean, last year going into the year, he was like a big deal. He was the talk of camp and everything. And now I don't know if it's – they just don't feel like he's fully recovered from the Achilles or what it is or if he doesn't trust it. But he's just barely plays him. He plays like 10 or less snaps a game, and most of them are blocking in obvious run situations. And so, like, is there more of a ceiling for these guys, Paul? Like, can they blossom and give them something? Well, should that be the Bucks strategy? Even ask them to be that way. You and I have talked about this a little bit. You know, I like maybe seeing something from Bashad Perriman lately has been exciting. I think we both have real reservations about Tyler Johnson. And you'd love for Cam Braid to be the guy like you could, oh, we can go to 12 and we can use Cam Braid and he can do something like at least underneath, you know, give us a security blanket, play off of Gronk and play a different role, a safe role, but make plays when we ask him to and find the space. And you'd like to be able to ask him to do some of those things. But this year, it's it's been a rough go of it as we've watched Cam Braid. Yeah, if either Bray or Howard were playing as well as they did last year, it would be a slam dunk. Yes, yeah. let's go 12 personnel. Like, there, we wouldn't even be talking about this, really. Right. And it's interesting because they did do a lot of that stuff in that first Carolina game. And specifically, what they did a lot was they went in those hip slot formations, right, where they had the two tight ends on the one side, two receivers on the other, and it puts the defense in a bind. You kind of have to declare your coverage. Uh, and, and also, like, are you going to match up small? So be because Carolina was often like they had a corner on that side of the two tight ends, the Bucs were able to take advantage of the run game. But do you want to rely on those guys like Bray and Howard, especially blocking week after week, run blocking? Do you trust them in the pass game? I don't just based off what I've seen this year. And for yeah. that reason, I'm kind of like at this point inclined to stay more like 11 personnel heavy and kind of use what you have at the receiver position. But if those guys can take a big step up, get back to where they were last year, then yeah, like there's, then you instantly, I think, go back to just be 12 heavy, like 12 personnel heavy. Right. You agree with that, Mark? I mean, you've seen these guys play a little bit. And yeah, I know you've been a fan of Braid in the past. Like we all have been kind of, but this year it's been, I mean, he, he yeah. still makes a player two in the red zone, but it's it's not been the same. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't been the same. I mean, I think there's both a pro Braid and, a, and a, an, an anti Braid argument based on this Eagles game. He had a nice little catch. He was at the two at an empty. He was three by two to the right, working to get zone coverage. Nice catch, a little yardage after the catch. And against these Eagles linebackers, you know, he could probably make some plays in space against them, particularly in zone coverage, finding some little soft spots, you know, sitting down in grass. But he also was matched up on play against Alex Singleton in man coverage. And Singleton, you know, made a pass breakup working against him. He couldn't get any separation on his little option route. And, like, I saw your eyes just sort of wide in there, John, saying, like, when Alex Singleton is getting the better of you on a one-on-one rep in man coverage, it's not a good sign. Yeah, it's not. It's a concern moving forward. And those guys, you'd like to for them to be the answer here, Paul. Like, yeah, especially because, like, look, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, Paul mentioned the sort of the spread to run. And, like, yeah, that's where the game's going right now, right? Spread people out, mm -hmm. you know, run the football. But I'm also a fan of the sort of flip side of that, which is condense, go big, and throw out of 12 and throw out of 13 
you know, try to get those base quote unquote defenses on the field, get these guys matched up against linebackers. So if Arians had the ability, if Leftwich had the ability to say, look, we'll just go 12, we'll go 13. And, you know, if we're worried about receiver group being thin, we can get these guys on the field as tight ends and get matchups. That card isn't there right now. Mm-hmm. You'd love to have it going forward. Maybe something happens, catch a little playoff magic, but right now it's just not really there. Yeah. I could see the Bucks going this route in this matchup. And if you remember, like, before the week six game, John, I texted in the group chat. I was like, this, this, they're going to use more play action than they've used all year. And in the opening drive, it was four out of their six passes or play action. It ended up not being the highest percentage-wise, but it was up there. And in terms of just, like, raw count, it was tied for the most. But I think that ties back to the fact that against these type of defenses, the Bucks say, okay, we want to run it. All right, well, if you want to run it, that might naturally lead you into a 12 personnel type of game, right? More tight ends and, and try to go big. And, hey, if you go 12, do they still play a light box or do they bring an extra guy into the box? Like, how do they counter, mm-hmm. right? And maybe on the first drive, the Bucks just experiment with that, right? And then depending on what the Eagles do, then they decide, hey, do we want to be more spread out today? Do we want to do this? Like, because you see that a lot, right? Where the opening drive, teams will just throw out a bunch of stuff they're kind of just probing like what's your answer yeah. to this hey what do you do when we do this and then you kind of formulate your game plan from there right that could definitely be a true and it's been true of the bucks honestly a lot of people are, oh slow starts and i think that is part of it ball like they often it's like they want to figure out what you're trying to do and then it, you know they're they'll adjust what they're doing and, t- and try and take advantage of it um so i think those are good points there yeah how those tight ends step up and play in the playoffs I really think that's going to be a big part of this. So we'll get to our final thoughts here in a second. But first, I got to mention our friends over at Pin Chasers Bowling Lane. This is I mean, this is the place to go, folks, for food and for fun with your family. Even this weekend, you know, this is a great place. You can watch the playoff games here too. They've got an all-you-can-eat pizza night over at Pin Chasers. You can get breakfast anytime at Pin Chasers. Oh, I love that. Uh, and you can see the food right there on the screen. I mean, it looks outstanding. So uh, P- Pin Chasers, great place to go. They've got a couple locations. You can see them there, East Pasco, Midtown Veterans that you got spots you can go to in Tampa uh, to enjoy some bowling, some food, some fun with the family as well. Um, so make sure you check them out. Again, you can see some of those specials at pinchasers.net that they have, but that all you can eat pizza night. I'm just telling you, you might want to tab that night. Make sure you get down there with the family. It's a good time. Mark knows. He's seen me. Mark, you've seen me put away a little food. I have seen you <laughs> eat your way through an entire holiday and breakfast buffet. <laughs> like they, they had to call in some new chickens to get some new eggs, man. It was just an absolute display down in Mobile, man. Just one of the more impressive things. Two of the more impressive things I've ever seen down at Mobile for the Senior Bowl. One was the way you ate through Mobile. But then Matty Brown. I yes. Mean, John, the first time I saw John, it was down in Mobile. And I thought, oh, it's great that the, the players here for the Senior Bowl are going <laughs> to hang out with people like us because, you know, John's <laughs> massive. But Matty Brown, this tiny little Englishman, right. eating his way through Mobile like he had – one morning we went to breakfast. He had his bananas, Foster. Then he ate somebody else's. Then he had my leftover bacon. I'm like, Maddie, where do you put it? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's Anybody who falls, like, yeah. It's a roll of the dice. You might you might be scrounging at the end of that. That's right. No, it's true. And it's funny because he's like, Maddie's like the size of one of my legs, basically. Yeah. And he's could probably out eat me. So anybody who follows Maddie on Twitter knows uh scheme genius, Maddie Brown. And so yeah, he's a he's a good one to follow for sure, and definitely a good one to go all you can eat with for sure. All right, let's get to our final thoughts here because Philly, uh, we've talked a little bit about them just in general. I don't want to touch too much on them, just but Mark, you've been able to see them. I'm sure you've been able to see Jalen Hurts some. We're flipping the script here and talking a little bit just about in general. But like, do you think that a lot's changed for them uh, since they started the season? Or do you find it more like 
this is they've played what a miserable second half of the schedule. I mean, they've just played like all the worst teams in the league. I mean, some of them are in their division, Giants twice, yeah. Washington twice, you know, and then they didn't play their starters against the Cowboys. And I think they lost one of the Giants games, but like generally speaking, they've won most of their second half of the season games. But it's been, you know, they've only beaten one team with a winning record. It was the nine and eight Saints who third or fourth string quarterback on that game. I can't even remember, you know, obviously it didn't help the Bucs. They still lost those ones. But in general, like this team hasn't really beaten anybody. They haven't beaten a playoff team. I think they've played six of them. They lost all six games. Do you think that's changed a lot for them? Or do you think it's just been a matter of them going up against weaker competition? No, they've really changed what they've done on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, going into that game back in October when these two teams met, you know, the Eagles threw it on first down. Right. You know, most of the time they were a heavy pass. League, I think, yeah. You know, yeah, one of the highest pass rates on first down in the league. Now they run it more than anybody on first and second down. Like yeah. they have really sort of shifted away from the early down pass, and you know they they decided around the midpoint that look, we're much better keeping the ball on the ground. We'll limit what Jalen Hurts has to do. We'll re- we'll rely on him with his legs. And that's how they've sort of turned their season around. They sort of went in with this sort of run-heavy approach on the early downs, try to get themselves into some manageable second and fours, third and twos, things like that. From Hertz's perspective, I mean, you know, I, I do a show on him each week. He's gotten better as the season's gone on, and I, I think he's done enough. He's shown enough that, like, yeah, they can take their first three-round picks, their first three, you know, first-round picks next year and address other positions. They don't mm-hmm. have to force a quarterback. They can build around him. You know, there are some limitations to his game. He is still very much a, although he's fighting it, you know, first read, maybe second read, then he's going to pull the ball down. Um, There have been moments throughout the back half of the season where you've seen him go one, two, reset his feet, get to a backside dig or something like that. So he's getting better. But that impetus in the back of his mind to, to pull it down, to try to make something happen with his legs, you know, that's still there. And so there will be some moments on Sunday where if you can get some pressure on him where you can take away his first or second read, He's might going to pull the full football down and start to run around a little bit. He can get some big sacks on him. I expect him to move him around the pocket a little bit, you know, try to give him some sort of like half field read, some mm-hmm. flood concepts. They had two really good flood concepts against this Buccaneers defense that were open that he, one of which he hit on for a big game, one of which I think he kind of missed, but had an opportunity on that sale mm-hmm. route. So I'd expect him to move him around a bit, give him some half field reads, use his legs, some zone read stuff and things like that. They're going to try to run the ball. Even against this, you know, very good run defense, they're going to try to run the football. That's where they've lived the back half of the season. You're right. They haven't played the best schedule. They play, you know, Washington twice. Mm-hmm. You know, they they lost to the Giants once. I mean, mm-hmm. you lost to Joe Judge. I mean, not great. Said, it's not great. It's not great. The man's drinking cases of Michelob Light right now and, and hammering pizza. <laughs> Speaking of pizza, that's what Joe Judge is doing right now. I mean, this is a game that the Buccaneers should win. You know, that's what the Eagles are going to try to do. You're going to try to make it easy on Hurts. Take away his first couple of reads. You should be okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Go ahead, Paul. I know you have thoughts too. Yeah, and I, I I always when you're going against these quarterbacks who are who like to get to their first and second read, and and that's kind of it as far as progression. Usually, I know that's you know an oversimplification. I always kind of want to see the Bucks get away from their blitz heavy scheme because when you blitz a ton, you yeah. make it easier where you're like, okay, you can just throw hot, right? Yes. You kind of give the answer right away. So challenge them more because and by the way, like uh, that flood, I'm, I'm sure they're going to run flood a ton because uh, Bucks are going to play a bunch of cover three, right? So. If he doesn't get to that sale route, if you know, like he might just take off because you see him at times where he hits that 
uh, after his five-step drop, he hits his back foot. He just takes off right away sometimes. And it's like it's, there's not even a reset every time. But if he is able to kind of settle in there, especially if the Bucks are weaker in coverage with the blitz, and he has like that backside dig coming into his field of vision off of flood, right, because it's such a natural route, then uh, they could be in trouble. But So I think they got to maybe play a little bit softer, be, you know, make sure their contain is good. Hopefully Shaq Barrett's back and that helps with that sort of thing. And but I think they need to ease up on the blitzes to in this matchup against this kind of quarterback. Paul, yeah. I love that point about blitz at a young quarterback. I know that's that's the usual thing you hear on the, the broadcast, right? Oh, he's a young quarterback. You want to blitz him, speed him up. But you're right. You give him the answer to the test. Uh, he yeah. just gets to throw his hard. He gets to go to his traverse read, the side adjustment or whatever play zone make him read stuff out make him get to one to two to three to the backside dig whatever you know make you know you spin the safeties or whatever so you confuse him but yeah don't give him the easy hot read like don't give him his quick little outlet to goddard or a check down Mm -hmm. to you know a back out of the backfield immediately make him read his progressions and work through that stuff against zone coverage give him some tighter windows to throw to i think that's how you play a young quarterback generally i think that's how you want to play hurts given what he does so yeah the blitz stuff I'd shy away. I, you're exactly right. I'd shy away from that. This yeah. But Bulls, yeah. Bulls, he's he is good at like getting when he wants to into the like these simulated pressures, right? So he's only sending four, but there's all these crazy rotations. And in a right. game where, especially if it's a game where he wants to play single high a ton, he'll start. If he wants to play two, he'll play invert two, so he can come out of that same single high look. So he has ways of being like super confusing if he wants to. But then there are other days where he's just like blitz, 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 blitz. So <laughs> which Bulls do we get? Right. I think. In, in the playoffs, man, like the way we saw him turn it up last year, I, I'm going to give him uh, the benefit of the doubt. I could well, see him coming up with something good today or on Sunday. Yeah, I think you know, you guys bring up great points. I actually wrote about in Bucks Briefing this week. Over blitzing, like one of my biggest concerns with the Bucks at times. Like, yes, there's a time and place for it. They blitz 40. They send more than four. 41% of the time. That is way more than any other team in the league. They're like well over 300 blitzes on the year. Compare that to Philadelphia. Literally, Philadelphia has more than 200 less blitzes than the Bucs do this season. Like, <laughs> that is unbelievable. Like that, I mean, obviously, Philly's at the bottom of the league, 31st, and the Bucs are first. But just like how much more they blitz than the average team. I think they're almost 40 blitzes more than the next closest team, which I think believes Miami. And so they just, I mean, again, it's, I know that that's what Bulls is. Like, he's live or die by pressure. If you get pressure in sacks and you – like, if you have a quarterback frazzled, I mean, even if it's Aaron Rodgers, like last yep. year, we saw, you know, yep. at least the first time around. You know, the second time around, Rodgers is better, but, you know, there are a couple turnovers. But even if you if it's Aaron Rodgers, like, you get the quarterback frazzled for whatever reason in that game, you're toast against Bulls. But if you don't and, you like you said, if you give them the answers to the test and it's easy – then you can get carved up like that. And so Bulls is kind of like totally live or die. Um, and it's usually underneath stuff. It's not deep stuff against Bulls so much, but you can get carved up great efficiency. I think last year the Bucks surrendered the third highest completion percentage in the NFL to opposing quarterbacks. And the other teams in the top 10 were all non-playoff teams, losing record teams. And they were the Bucs Super Bowl champions and like third worst in the league in that area. So I say all that to say, yes, I think completely agree with you. There are times when I like a more blitz-heavy approach against certain players, certain quarterbacks. And at, correct me if I'm wrong. Am I remembering correctly? I meant to look this up before the show yesterday, actually, and I keep forgetting to. I'm pretty sure against the Eagles last time, he did not blitz a ton, at least early in the game. I think that they really played contain a lot and didn't over blitz. I mean, for Hurts only had like 114 yards passing in the whole game. But I could be wrong about that. It may be late in the game. It changed. I can't remember. But I'm I, struggling to remember. If I remember correctly, I believe he played 
it may be a little bit safer against the Eagles the last time out. I could be completely tripping on that. But I, I don't even play defense in Madden. I just press Super Sim. So, you know, I'm, I'm watching the offense tape a lot more. I'm pulling it up right now, and I'm seeing only 11 blitzes. Okay, that's That's right. low that's, for him. Yeah, right? that's very yeah. low for him. Yeah. And, yeah. and one of those was a uh, penalty, um, so it's really like 10. Yeah, okay. That's what um, I thought it was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a – they blitzed him on a, a big play in the fourth down where he hit Devonta Smith on a deep in cut from the left. Right. And they also technically blitzed him on the two-point conversion. Um, but, right. yeah, they didn't blitz him a ton. You're right. They played a yeah. little bit more zone coverage. So. Right. Yeah, it wasn't the Super Bowl game plan, but it was pretty quick. Right. Like, it was it was yeah. more of that, like, you know, playing it, rushing with four. And they really wanted to contain the pocket, um, which yeah. was mixed reviews, as it's been all season for the Bucs. It's a big concern going to the game. But, anyways, great thoughts. I love all this. This was really good dialogue and, and good conversation. I think it gives fans, hopefully, a little greater lens into what the Bucks' offense should look like moving forward and then what the Eagles kind of – what challenges they present. I know people want to know about John Brown, um, and I've seen the questions in the chat. There's not a ton to say. I'll just say, like, he has played in this offense before. I don't think he's going to play this week. We'll see if he plays Sunday. That's asking a lot because I bet he barely practiced today. He's still learning. I mean, he literally two days. He didn't even come in at the beginning of the week. So, like, I just don't think we'll see him this week. And then we've just kind of kind of got to see him. And he has played inside and outside before. He's mostly an outside receiver. In Arian's offense, he played a little more inside than he has played other places, I believe. I've always liked John Brown, but he's, you know, he's older and he's had a lot of injuries. And so – you're probably not getting the same player. Otherwise he wouldn't have been not playing for the last couple of teams that he's been on. Although, you know, Perryman's been all right. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, Brown's going to need some, but it's still, it's the best move that you could make out there. In my opinion, like it's, it gives you something in case somebody else goes down or Perryman's hip skill bothers them or whatever. Uh, Evan's hamstring, you know, you've got to have some options that can actually like play and not be like, what is going on? You know, like a John Hurst would be if he had to play off the practice squad. Like, I think that's a priority for the Bucks right now. So anyway, awesome stuff. Paul, thank you so much for being on, obviously. And Paul is going to join me actually on Sunday. We're going to have the live in-game stream going just like we normally would. Pre-games at noon. We're going to have 1 p.m. for the game. Paul and I will be with you for the game. Pre-game, Matt and I, and then Scott and I. And then Paul and I will be on live for the game for the Bucks playoff again. The first ever live Peter Report game day live stream during a Bucks playoff game. We didn't do this last year, so we're excited about that. We'll be in here again. Tell all the friends and family, send the links out. If everybody could before they leave, if you could hit the thumbs up button, it helps out our YouTube SEO, gives us a nice boost. We really appreciate that. If you're not, subscribe to the Pewter Report Podcast. We are very close to 7,000 subscribers. Y'all helping us out a ton lately. It's been crazy. We've jumped from six to seven in a month or something. Like It's been absolutely nuts to watch, so y'all have been great about that. Keep jumping it. Let's get to seven by the playoff game. That would be awesome. We're not that far away. If we could hit seven by the playoff game, I'll be pumped about it. No question about it. But we appreciate y'all. Hit that thumbs up button on the way out. Hit that like button on YouTube. Doesn't do, it doesn't hurt you at all and helps us out a ton. So we greatly appreciate that. And Mark, I need you to tell the people where they can I know that they, where they can find you on Twitter and everything. You can tell them that too. But also, what are you working on? What are you guys doing over at the NFL wire? Are you I know you guys got game previews going up? So just plug what you got going on, the Bucks fans, and, and I know there's some Eagles fans in here too, for better or worse, but they can go uh, check it out as well. Uh, tell them what you guys got going on. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. This was a, this was a ton of fun. Um at my Mark Schoolfield on Twitter. Um, Doug and I, Doug Ferrar and I did uh game previews uh for all six games he did the nfc games i did the afc games three things each team needed to do to win so doug handled the, the bucks eagles game um you can check that up at touchonwire.usatoday.com i got a piece up today because you know in addition to being a bit of a brady whisperer i'm unfortunately a bit of a carson wentz whisperer and so 
I got a whole piece up on what went wrong for Wentz this year in Indianapolis and what the future might be. So you can check that out at Touchdown Wire as well. But on Twitter, at Mark Schofield, that's the best way to find me. Yep, absolutely great stuff, Mark. We always appreciate it, man. Great insight. Nobody knows the Bucks, Brady, Arians, all that stuff better than you do, Gronk. So uh, it's always good to get your thoughts and insight, Paul. As always, appreciate it. We'll be back live at noon on Sunday. That's when we'll be back on the Pewter Report podcast for Pewter pregame for the first playoff game, the wild card round. The quest for two in a row begins on Sunday, and we're excited for it. We'll be with you. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. Appreciate y'all. We'll catch you again next time on another edition of the Pewter Report Podcast.